We're going to, we started late. I was writing something very important that had to be written. And I was actually writing it to clarify my thoughts on a particular topic. And I was trying to understand some statements that Prabhupada makes that some people interpret to be racist. And you can't really interpret one statement unless you read everything. And it's also difficult to interpret what someone means if you don't understand the body of their teachings and you also don't understand them as a person. Because sometimes someone may say something which is out of character because they're representing a an ideal or representing a philosophy. But the way they speak it and the way they apply it, maybe it's seemingly different from what you hear. It may seem like, well, this is what they mean, when in fact they mean something else. So um, trying to rectify uh, for a devotee uh, statements that seem to be racist that Prabhupada made. And one of the conclusions, that was one of the conclusions, this is a conclusion that was actually discussed among some devotees, how you can never understand something Prabhupada says unless you understand the entirety of what he's talking about. Um, because sometimes someone will say something, and you know that person, and someone says, so-and-so said this, that must mean this, and said, no, that couldn't mean that. If you knew him, you knew he wouldn't say that. It's not what he means. And so, uh, in writing this, I had to explain sometimes statements about certain people, certain classes of people. And it became more clear as I was writing that in order to establish a Varnashram society, one of the things you do is you distinguish by the nature of people. And you're not distinguish, distinguishing prejudicially, you're just distinguishing. You're an intellectual, so you teach. You're, you're not an intellectual, but you have, you're physically very strong. You can do hard work. You're a good farmer. You do the farming. You're a good administrator or a good warrior. You you do that. So it's it's not stating one is better or there's something wrong with one. It's just stating reality. This is this is your nature. These are your abilities. This is your inherent, you know, qualities. And therefore this is how you work. So then uh, sometimes Prabhupada would make distinctions based on showing this is how, this is what people should do. So then that's seen as racist. And then the second problem is that those distinctions aren't so clear anymore in Kali Yuga. It seems like we're all kind of a homogeneous mess, more or less. Like, you know, what are we in Kali Yuga? Are we all born Shudras? Well, that's what Shastra says. But that would be a compliment for some people. Because Shudra means you're still of a certain quality, of, of civilized human being and many people are not of that quality. They're considered Malachya Javanas by Vedic standards, what what the Muslims uh, we used to say, infidels, you know, you're you're outside of their culture, of their religion. So Lord Chaitanya came and said, It doesn't matter what you are, where you are, who you've come from we can educate you. You can become a Brahmin. You can go to the highest position. So it kind of dissolved that whole discrimination thing. But in order to establish a social structure, 
You have to go back to discriminating. Okay, who's going to do what based on their quality? So that's where sometimes you get this, you get these problems. And then you get the male, female, men are this, women are that, you know, the subordination of women to men, which was all inherent within that culture, the Vedic culture, and it, and it worked seemingly from what we understand it worked. Uh, women were not educated like men. They, they had their social distinctions right from birth, so that's, they, they grew up with it. it. It worked for them. And they had extended families, and you know everything was great. And apparently, it was great. You may someone may disagree, but let's say for the sake of argument, it was great. So, so now Prabhupada, when he speaks about social structures and the smooth operation of social structure, then you start classifying. Men should do this, be like this. Women should do this. Women should be like that. Shudras should do this. Vaishyas, Chatras, Brahmins, and, uh, people less than Shudras, people should be educated in this way, and so forth. And then you get all this like, whoa, you're saying these people should work. Shudras should work, but they shouldn't be paid. Whoa. Why shouldn't they be paid? Well, they misuse money because they're not se sensually controlled. They degrade themselves. That sounds like slavery. Whoa, that's a heavy statement. So it requires, you know, a discussion. And, you know, the discussion could be totally theoretical and maybe totally doesn't work or partially doesn't work. That's another problem because things are different today. So you're, you're discussing a system that was meant to function in a, in a particular society and we're much different. And, and how will it function and can it function? And these are big questions. But I think that's where a lot of the misunderstanding comes <coughs> if Prabhupada's talking about Varnashram, he's talking about it uh, in a theoretical sense and then just telling us these are the principles. Then you have to figure out how to apply it. And in some cases, it doesn't really apply very well. Or it's, it's applied uniquely according to individuals. Right? Just, like, just like if you look at marriage, you know, there's certain principles. But sometimes you break those principles because it actually helps the marriage if you spin things around a little bit because of the nature of the man and woman that maybe a traditional role model doesn't work well for them. Maybe, maybe as we said, sometimes the woman is like very, very powerful and the man is happy to be on an equal or even subordinate role. And, and it's fine. It works for them. According to Vedic model, the man should be the boss should be in charge. And the reason was is that women weren't educated. They were never initiated. It was the man who was given the education. And then therefore, the man became the teacher of the wife, the guru of the wife. She got her education, her spiritual education, she got from him. She didn't get it. So that's like a totally different situation than what happens today. And women never got initiated. It was only the men who got initiated. And then whatever the man achieves, the woman got that, got that karma. I don't know if karma was the one. She got the piety of the husband. She got the benefit of what he achieved. That was the system. Of course, Srila Prabhupada initiated women. And he, and he never said, well, you don't really have to try to be Krishna conscious. Just help your 
husband be Krishna conscious, he'll chant his rounds for you and you'll get the benefit. No, he never said that. Although that, that's true, certainly the wife gets the benefit of the spiritual advancement of the husband to some degree. That's true. But that's not what Prabhupada told his female disciples. So even, even it, there may be validity to it, but now things are, are so much different. So Prabhupada initiated, as Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati did, <coughs> initiated, <coughs> gave his women second initiation, let them do so many things. So Krishna consciousness is transcendental to these gender and these varnashram roles and gender roles. That doesn't mean entirely transcendental because we're still in the bodily concept, but in many ways transcendental. And um, so it's interesting when Prabhupada's talking about Varnashram and so much distinction, because then you look at what Prabhupada did and said, well, it doesn't seem like he actually did what he's talking about. But Prabhupada's talking about one thing was how he organized ISKCON and, and another <coughs> excuse me. Another thing is how he is talking about how society in general should be organized if we were to try to help the world become Krishna conscious. If I make a face when I drink this, then you can feel compassionate on me. It's not tasty. Turmeric and cinnamon. Not a good combo, but healthy. So this is, um, as to what he was asking me, well, how, how, would we explain these things to non-devotees? Because you know, they'll, they'll see Prabhupada say certain things and might seem racist. And it's about context. What was he talking about? Society should be organized. Okay, we're going to do something. Okay, we need some teachers. Who can be the teachers? Oh, you, you're a teacher? Okay, you can teach. We need some people who know how to chop down trees. Who knows how to chop down trees? Oh, you do. You know, the big muscle guys come in. So it's like that. Who who knows what to do? In the modern context of trying to make everything equal, it may sound like discrimination. One thing about Varnashram is on the top of Varnashram, you had Brahmins. And the value of having Brahmins on the top is that Brahmins, they have no, they're not envious, they have no nature, they don't have the nature to exploit anyone. Their only nature is to help. So, if someone whose only nature is to help says something which appears to be racist, it can't be. It's only He's only making a statement of division. This is how we divide labor. That's all. So at least that's something as a guideline if we see somewhat racist statements. Now, I know there are other statements that are difficult to deal with, but... One thing we do see is that Prabhupada, he adapted to the social situation he was in, and he then he considered, okay, well, how in this situation can we give people Krishna consciousness? And so that's what Prabhupada did without distinction. Prabhupada did not distinguish when he gave Krishna consciousness. He gave to everybody. Men, women, black, white, Indian... Whatever your past was, uh, 
transgender, homosexual. It was like he didn't. To him, it was like, you just. I just want you to be Krishna conscious. Um, there's a story. The GBC passed a resolution. I don't know what year, maybe 74, that no women with children can live in a temple because it was expensive. And after they pass the resolutions, the GBC goes to Prabhupada and reads the resolutions and then Prabhupada approves or disapproves. So when they read that resolution, well, when they read the resolutions, Prabhupada would say, yes, yes, yes. And then they read this resolution that no women with children can live in temples and Prabhupada didn't say anything. And he just stopped. I think he closed his eyes. Or I think he said, hmm. He didn't say yes. He said, hmm. And then I said, Prabhupada, should we take that out? And Prabhupada said, I just want, I just want that everyone has the opportunity to be Krishna conscious. So, so Prabhupada was revealing his thinking. So how, how could a person who thinks like that, be considered racist. And here they're talking about women and Prabhupada's being accused of being gender unequal, racist, I don't know if you call that racism, but patriarchal, misogynist, you know, it seemed to some people he was like that. And here they're talking about women who were a burden on the temple because they couldn't, they were taking care of children so they they weren't able to go on Sankirtan. If they went on Sankirtan um, or do some valuable service, it would have been an asset to the temple. So, you know, you could say good reason to make a decision that they can't live in the temple. And Prabhupada said, I just want everyone to have the opportunity to be Krishna conscious. So then how do you put that against so-called disparaging statements against women. You have to like understand context and Prabhupada again is talking, well this is the nature of man, this is the nature of woman, so deal with it accordingly. Now we'll say, but Prabhupada and you know, it's Kali Yuga and doesn't seem like the women are like that or the men are like you, you know, it says here in Shastra. And, and Prabhupada was not holding Holding hard to those gender roles, he would, you know, he would always deal with people individually. So I think that's an important point. That there are some, there are some obvious differences between people, between male and female, people of different cultures. But at the same time, Prabhupada dealt with us as individuals and give, giving us all equal opportunities to become Krishna conscious, and in most cases, equal opportunities for service, without a lot of the, what appear to be some kind of discriminatory explanations of differences between people and races and genders that are in the books, which are generalizations, which in many ways we know there are differences between cultures and differences between men and women and but Krishna consciousness is for everyone. So that's what I was writing about. And I was kind of writing it for myself, actually. Even though somebody asked me, I was writing it for myself to try to, to get more clarity. And 
one one of the things that that you may wonder, you know, especially women, is is didn't women in Prabhupada's time feel uneasy? Were there women coming who would hear things like women or this or that? And was it upsetting and how did they deal with it? And it was upsetting for many of them. And how did they deal with it? Well, they didn't feel that from Prabhupada. That's how that's it's like it was just interesting, you know, to so there's something in the books that says it's like this, but when you're with the person who wrote the books, your experience is pretty much the opposite of what was written in the books. So then you start questioning, well, what did he actually mean by that and why is it there? How is it applicable and so on? So I think that's important. I was I was making the point that <clears throat> a lot of times reporters would ask Prabhupada about women and women's liberation or something. They would hear that um, you know, women had inferior roles or this or that. And, you know, Prabhupada would say, yes, they should be protected by men. That's the Vedic culture. and They should be married. And, you know, so naturally... Women would say, "Well, what if you don't want to be married, and why? Why should I, my identity, be given to me by a man, etc.?" And Prabhupada said, "Well, it's your nature. You know, you can't just travel around the world alone. It's not safe. And man can do that. Sixteen-year-old boy can do that. And um, but you could see in the conversations how Prabhupada was charming the women and how much they liked him. And I think specifically." The reporters could see, definitely could feel, Prabhupada wasn't envious. He wasn't a male chauvinist. He was just talking about natures and about, you know, traditional social organization, which would be better. You know, it sounds like, almost like slavery. And sometimes said, you know, well, it's better to be a slave of one man than a slave of many. You know, then you become a pro- like a, a prostitute unofficially and have many boyfriends and so forth. So, but they could see that even if Prabhupada said something which they felt was was prejudicial or not politically correct, it, they could see in the, it was like it was like those words don't usually come out of a person who has the qualities and nature of Srila Prabhupada. So it was like it was like they really they may not have liked what he said, but they liked him, which then flavored what he said in a way that they could understand that it wasn't it wasn't like discrimination as they would think of it normally it was you know they could say okay this is a religious idea which they believe yeah uh, this will prevent uh, prostitution this will prevent abortion this will create stable families if women are like this so then you look at you look at the modern situation the divorce rates it, in the developed countries, 50-60% actually higher because a lot of people don't get married and then they break up, but they live together. So, you know, there are reasons for that. And then you look at more traditional roles, which seem like so um, strange to us, you know, how people get married, the marriage will be arranged, this and that. And then we hear of these stories of you know arranged marriages where you didn't meet your spouse until the day you were married. And for us, it sounds like insane. But if you actually study those marriages, at least from the stability point of view, they're, they're stable. And if you study those families from the stability point of view, they're stable. 
And if we see what's going on in the world today, there's a lot of irresponsible relationships and irresponsible parents. So, you know, you have to, you know, you look at something and go, well, that doesn't seem like really applicable or even correct. But then if you study the result of it, you see, well, it resulted in more stable families. Maybe it didn't result in high levels of sense gratification or extreme levels of marital satisfaction. Because that really wasn't the goal of married life. It wasn't. It wasn't traditionally a big, a big romantic thing. It was a stabilizing factor for society, a place to nurture children, and uh, a place for people to satisfy their sexual needs and the need for association of the opposite sex in a in a way that wouldn't degrade them. That was the idea. So you know you have to you know, you may look at something that's Vedic or something your Prabhupada says and think mm, this just seems like not very politically correct or whatever according to modern theory. But then you have to look at well, what are the consequences <laughs> of what we're doing now? Oh my God, there's so many problems. And so you look at that traditional thing which you think is like archaic and ultra conservative, but then you see it, it's it's devoid of a lot of these problems. Of course, you could say, well, you know, it creates its own set of problems. And I, I don't doubt it creates its own set of problems because it's not, it's, it's, it's hard for us to do traditional things in a modern culture because we don't have the mindset for it. But in essence, if we had the mindset for it, it would solve a lot of problems. And so part of the problem is not the problem in the system. The problem is in the mindset that we can't follow the system. So, you know, it's like, it's great if men can be brahmachari, but um, a lot of men, when they try to be brahmachari, just become more sexually agitated because it's it's they never they're not practiced to do it. So so you could you could attribute um, a lot of the problems of the Catholic Church to celibacy. You made these men celibate, and they became gay or or whatever, and um, and it's true that's a problem of controlling sexual desire. But controlling sexual desire is a good thing if you can do it. So sometimes a good thing put on the wrong person becomes a bad thing. So a lot of people will look at like traditional values and go, well, these things aren't good. It's because, you know, you have to have certain qualifications to be able to, right? To be able to, 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 to do those things. So um, that's what I was writing about. And it's the reason I was writing about it is uh, not only because I can share these letters with other devotees, but I'm sure it's on your mind also when you you hear Prabhupada say something, and it's just like, what does that mean? You know, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's all, con- I mean, Prabhupada said, sometimes said some very heavy things. And he, and if you don't understand context, well, why is he saying this? Does he mean, um, Prahlad Maharaj, you know, Haranyakashipu's father is trying to kill Prahlad Maharaj. But actually, when you look at it, if anyone had a right to kill anybody, it was Prahlad Maharaj had a right to kill his father who was trying to kill him. And Prabhupada said, actually, if a son if a son is not a devotee, then you could kill him. You could have a right to kill him. What did Prabhupada mean by that? Like, oh my God, did Prabhupada say that? He actually said that? You actually heard that? Did Prabhupada mean, well... All of you devotees, if your sons don't become devotees, you know, you could kill them. No, that's not what he meant. It was 
It, it was like saying, it's like making a statement, not that you would do it, but that it would not be a sin to do because the purpose of life is to raise children in Krishna consciousness. Not that you would do it, but it's such a hard statement to understand, isn't it? Like, like you have the right to do this in theory. Would you do it? Would you even talk about doing it? Even entertaining that thought seems so ridiculous. Yeah, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't entertain the thought. Uh, so that's where we have trouble when Prabhupada's saying these things. That Did Prabhupada ever recommend anyone even uh, raise a hand to their son or daughter if they misbehave? No. And why is he saying you could kill them if they're not devotees? What does that mean? So, you know, you, you really have to soberly understand these things. That this is, you know, there's a, there's a tradition. There's a tradition, a school tradition, where teachers punish their students with like sticks and hit them. And Prabhupada never had us do that, but there's a tradition like that. And if you interview some of those students, the students will say, well, I'm glad they did because I was, I was a very degraded person and that teacher disciplined me and it helped me. You know, these things happen. I've been told that by people. They've said, my teachers used to beat me and that was the best thing because I was such a rascal. You know, so in modern context, we would think, this is horrible, you can't do that. But within a different culture, a different time, a different place, it was acceptable. It was understood. No, you need that if you're... So that's the problem we have in trying to understand these statements that, you know, in certain, a certain social context, it would make sense. You know, um, like that. Or, you know, what does it mean? You can kill your son. Let him do whatever he wants, you know. Can't make him a devotee, okay, whatever. Prabhupada did not kill his sons who didn't want to be devotees, right? So we have to make sense of these things, and it's not always easy. But one thing we can rest assured that we saw how Prabhupada was adaptable when he understood when he understood situations he adapted and um you know, he was dealing with all kinds of new situations when he came to America. And some he didn't understand because he never saw them in India. Uh, he never... Or some things in India were like, were not talked about. And they may have been going on, but it was all behind closed doors, like homosexuality. It was You couldn't come out in India. You might be stoned to death or something if someone found you were homosexual. So it doesn't mean there weren't. It just means that it was looked at as something so disgraceful that you didn't see it much because people wouldn't come, you know, or rape, you know. It was, it was, I don't think uh, in Prabhupada's day it was something that anybody knew much about going on, that was going on. As much as it's in the forefront of people's minds now and that you know, have hotlines to report abuse and so forth. So, you know, Prabhupada came to America, it, it was different than his culture. And so, sometimes he may make a statement which 
would make sense within the culture he grew up, but when you bring it to America, it doesn't make sense, or it sounds prejudicial or racist. And so, as you know, so Prabhupada adapted. He saw things, and then he adapted them to maybe go against what he was raised to believe about something, and just to give people an opportunity to be Krishna conscious. So all that discrimination, it just, it kind of just melted, which is interesting, because then you'll read something in his books which seems discriminatory, but it's just classification for social division. But in his own work, Prabhupada had all kinds of disciples, right? From all races, countries. He had transgender disciples, didn't discourage them. Homosexual disciples didn't discourage them. Someone might say, yeah, but he, he said that it, you know, it's demoniac. Well, there's a lot of things are demoniac. Listen, sex is demoniac. We were all doing that. So, from what we saw, Prabhupada was, here's Krishna, whatever you've done, doesn't matter, take Krishna. That's how he dealt with it. Okay, in your society it's done this way, okay, we do it this way. Acknowledge that. Not that he learned everything about our society and how it worked, and in retrospect we wish we would have told him more things and asked more questions, but at least... Uh, to a great extent, he was adapting to the, the social environment of America, and he wrote about it in his in many places in his books. He wrote about it because he was criticized for doing that, and he wrote about it and said, "You can't, you can't change your culture. You can't just go in and change your culture. You have to adapt to it. You have to do things." So he's being criticized. Swamiji, why are you doing this? He said, "Because that's the culture. That's the way they do it. I can't change that." He said, you know, over time they may change, but I can't change it. So that that's the idea. So that's what I was writing about. Well, let's see if you have any comments. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it's a diff it's difficult, actually. It's a difficult and subtle, and um, it needs... A, we I discussed this with some senior devotees, and one of the conclusions they came to is if you're trying to understand something that Prabhupada said that just seems wrong or prejudiced or sexist or whatever-ist, racist, sexist, misogynist. You have to understand everything Prabhupada says about that and how, he, and, every, and how he acted in relation to that. Then you will understand. And those statements will you know what is racist will 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 take a very it will not take a, a ordinary or predominant position it's like an isolated statement then you can start to understand it if you understand the context of the statement and understand all the other statements it's like okay now i can understand why Prabhupada was saying or maybe you won't understand it just well it was the only time he said this and every other time he said the opposite so I don't understand why he said that. I don't know the context. But I know that wasn't normally what he said. Or this was the only time he said that. So in that way. Um, I was 10 minutes late today, Deepak. Deepak's wondering why the notification came late. Because I was late. Because I was writing this. 
so I came late. Um, I think one of the um, one of the most the most practical questions problems that we run into today is because half the devotees, or maybe more than half now, are women, is the woman's issue and Prabhupada's view on the woman's issue. And um, I just want to say that no woman who joins ISKCON should ever feel that they can't do whatever they're inspired to do. They should never feel that they're not qualified, capable to do what they're inspired to do. Now, depending on your country and temple, there may be some social conventions you have to jump through some hoops for because it may, you know, if you take a position of authority, maybe some countries or places it, it will be problem. It may be problematic for you. You'll get some negative repercussions. But in general, uh, it, it's not that Prabhupada wanted women to think they they are lesser than men, lesser capable, lesser this or that. And um, Prabhupada always made made the point, not always, but often made the point that the women who become devotees are not ordinary women, just like the men who become devotees are not ordinary men. So, um, sometimes women have been discouraged or have been made to feel incompetent being women. And that's not, that was an unfortunate consequence of the statement of Manasamita that women are less intelligent and how it was then interpreted by young men who let's be frank, we're um, just living living out their immaturity and their inability to control, to well control their sexual desire and then they just took it out on women. But the, the less intelligence that the Shastra refers to is discriminatory, spiritual discrimination. Um, stronger material attachment, things of that nature, not IQ, not the ability to do something. And and then obviously, if a woman becomes a devotee, she's not lacking, at least compared to ordinary men, she's not lacking in that spiritual acumen which is considered to be less, the, the reason for being less intelligent. Um, she must be amongst the most intelligent because she, she became a devotee. Uh, of course, there are differences between men and women, there's no question. But no women should think that they're lacking spiritual discrimination or material intelligence. That's not what that meant. It meant that generally women are more materially attached, that they have a harder time um, controlling their mind, senses, emotions. They, you know, they're very grounded in family, home, the nesting, you know, that whole thing. Men tend to be more detached from that. And therefore, being more detached... It's, it's more advantageous for spiritual life, but you don't really see today men are like that detached, and you see now more women becoming devotees. So you know when you 
you read these statements and then you look out your windows and go, hmm, it doesn't, doesn't seem like what I'm reading in the book is what I see outside my window. So you have to consider those things in understanding what Prabhupada's saying. And, you know, when you're married and you're, you're a woman and you, you'll live with a man and you'll see, you know, he gets ready in five minutes it takes you a half an hour. So you will see there are, he doesn't care that much about how he looks. That is the difference. That is a male difference, which is good for spiritual life, obviously. And um, he, you know, most men don't care that much about the home. They can keep it really simple with the old curtains and the old couch. And then the wife's like, "No, get rid of the curtains, new couch." You know. Um, and that that joke I made, you know, count your kurtas, men, and multiply by eight, and count your wife's sorries. Or Jolies, and you know, should be about right. So that's the kind of thing they're referring to. But in the in the ultimate sense, your sincerity and your dedication to the mission of Krishna it transcends all those what you might call def- female deficiencies. It it doesn't really it doesn't really inhibit your ability to ser- sincerely serve and surrender to your spiritual master. And secondly. Not all women and not all women devotees are that much different than men in terms of their material attachments and, and so forth. And um, you know, I was just writing to a devotee and I was saying, oh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of men when they read scriptures, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, they get the idea that the wife, you know, she, she doesn't have, she should listen to her husband because she's just not that smart. And she'll make mistakes and get misguided. And there may be some truth to that, but it's also true on the men's side. He should listen to his wife because he may make mistakes and get misguided. So, But when you read the scripture, it's, it's the scriptures are written for men, so you just get the male point of view, you know. And so, um, and the female is just acquiescing to the male point of view. <clears throat> so I was writing this devotee, and I said, you know, if a man doesn't listen to his wife, then he's not availing himself of the of the many good good advices she could give him, and that's unfortunate. And if he thinks, well, I know everything she doesn't, then that's unfortunate. And it's not true. So this is where we get all mixed up. And so, you know, it appears, well, if you read the scripture, this is what it's saying. Women, just do what your wife says. You're not that smart. You're going to do stupid things. And he's like, you know, he's he's always right. He knows everything. And I think we had talked about this. And, uh, you know, when you read this, and I think especially for the women, when you read this, the, the thought comes, we say, wait a minute, you know, it said women are less intelligent. Like, what less intelligent than men? Like, what men are they talking about? Like, where are those men that are so great and so strong and so intelligent? And, you know, I can see a few, but I also see women strong, intelligent, you know, so. I don't, you know, I don't see these like huge distinction. Men are up here on Mount Everest and women are down here in the bottom of the ocean. It's Kali Yuga. You know, like, like, you know, men are, are, women are less intelligent. That means less intelligent than men. And then I think, well, where are those men? Where are those men that Manu was talking about in Manasamita? You know? Um, <laughs> it's Kali Yuga. That's that's so. I think a lot of women they're looking and say, "Yeah, 
submissive to that man. Where's that man that I can be submissive to? That's part of the problem. When you find that man to be submissive to, if he's so exalted, it's pretty easy to want to follow him. If he's smart, exalted, sense-controlled, kind, empathetic, yeah, who would have a problem you know, submitting to that kind of man? It's natural. And it's a woman's nature to serve. But still, even if there, there is such a man, you find such a man, still, it was never, it was never Prabhupada's idea that the woman would be a husband's slave and just do whatever he says. And that impression can be given by reading his books. But when Prabhupada was asked about this, he said, no, that's not. That was, that's just arrogance. So that's interesting, you know, how you can, you read something and it's like, well, it looks like this is what it would mean. And if you go into it, into it more and more and more, and you go, well, that's not actually what Prabhupada meant. It seems like it, but it's not, it's not dealing with reality as it is. And so Prabhupada, you know, he's, he's a wise sadhu. He doesn't say things which are like fanatical and, and uh, that go against the way reality functions. Okay. We have some comments. Well, discussion aroused them. Controversial discussions always arouse questions. Mm-hmm. Hi, Krishna Gerda. How are you, Michael? So, Kriste says a reporter from Lithuania has a question from a discussion I heard the other day. Uh-huh. Some Prabhupada's were speaking about how women shouldn't be in powerful positions, president, leader, etc., because it is not prescribed in Shastras. But if a woman was born to have the capability to do so, then should she restrain herself from her innate natural abilities? Would that mean they have less value as a devotee? I know some female devotees who are extremely good in management and leadership. At the end, male or female are just material concepts. It appears that Prabhupada did not want women in leadership positions of countries, at least. He didn't think that was they were so good leading countries. And then some days and some devotees will say, Well, you know, that's the culture Prabhupada was raised in. And then Prabhupada said something, you know, in that culture, you know, women. But then Indira Gandhi became president. And then Prabhupada said, oh, you know, woman, women as leaders, it's not good. And then he said, but if she listens to me, then she'll be like one of India's greatest leaders. So <laughs> it was like, it's like it's okay if she listens to me. You know. um, as far as Iskand's concerned, which is, I think, a little bit different discussion, Jamuna says Prabhupada asked her to be GBC, which is the highest managerial position in ISKCON. And then later Prabhupada saw that the men, you know, they had this idea about women being inferior and women not shouldn't be leaders, etc. So they were really, they weren't into it. And Prabhupada saw that and so he he decided to not push that because the men didn't want it. So it shows that he was willing to make her a leader. Now, there are many men in our movement who are dead set against women being leaders because 
they say it's not part of Varnashram, that's not the position of a woman, and that we're undermining Varnashram. That is a minority opinion. There are many temple presidents and leaders amongst women, and if a woman has that ability and it can be utilized in a way in which others appreciate it, which is important because some places they won't appreciate it and then it's going to create a problem. Uh, and if the women, if a woman can do it and do it and do it well and treat people well, then we don't have enough evidence from Prabhupada's example to say, no, they shouldn't do it. Now there's a story in which Prabhupada was once telling the devotees at a darshan, you should all open, you should all go out and open temples. Because in, in the early days of the movement, the opening of temples was that was like the main thing. That was what Prabhupada was pushing. Open 108 temples. He was always pushing. Open 108 temples. So then Rukmini, she was there and she said, she asked Prabhupada, even the women should go out and start a temple? And Prabhupada said, yes. So there's enough, there's enough stories that would indicate that Prabhupada didn't have a problem with women taking leadership roles. I think, I think it's the ultra-conservative devotees that have a problem with it and certain men that have a problem with it. but And we can say, well, you know, if the men have a problem with it, then Prabhupada didn't push it. Okay, that's true. But Prabhupada didn't have a problem with it. That's what we can understand. Now you have another situation, like in China, 85% of the devotees are women. So just on a statistical, logistical basis, you're going to get half the leaders or more are going to be women, which is true. It's just, there's more women, so who's going to do it? And in in certain parts of China, the women are much stronger than the men. The men are more passive and the women are more aggressive, especially in Shanghai. So, seems to me that it's just like if a woman is running things, it's just totally normal or, or expected there, especially in Shanghai. And, you know, the women have a lot of male shakti, I would say. So that's, I don't know if that's inherent in the DNA or the culture or what. But a lot of, a lot of women are much more successful in go-getting than their husbands. Perhaps it is, it is a sensitive topic, but I was wondering, what is the role of homosexual relations in ISKCON? Are they allowed to have partners, raise children? Um, I don't know if there's an official policy in ISKCON. I don't. only thing I know, well, you know, it depends where you are, <clears throat> and it depends what year you're in, because I think in the year 2125, the views are going to be different. Well, let's go to 2120. In, in, not 2120, that's too soon. 
No, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, no. 21, in 21, well, let's 21, 20, let's go to 21, 21. 100 years and one month away, more or less. The views are going to be different, which is interesting, right? Because apparently the philosophy is the same. So why would the views be different 100 years from now? Well, answer is obvious. So, however, look, Iskan looks at something <coughs> maybe totally in uh, in line with the shastra, but it there. But also, in some cases, there may not be enough shastric evidence to to delineate every detail. And then you'll see, as time passes, adjustments are made as society changes, and the adjustments that we make, we make adjustments to encourage people. So are we going to give a lecture and say, you know, if you're gay, go find a partner, get married? No, we're not going to say that. Are we going to stop you from doing it? No. Are we going to go to your wedding if you invite us at the risk of being um, criticized by others? Yes. So it's just an evolving issue. The main, the main principle is we encourage everyone to be Krishna conscious we encourage everyone to follow the four principles. You know, there there are certain things that maybe you believe believe in and would be helpful, and maybe it's true, they are helpful, that you cannot publicly demonstrate or admit because there are enough devotees who would make your life miserable if you did. And it's just <laughs> unfortunate, but it's a reality. Um, I think most devotees do not have a problem with homosexual homosexuals who are Krishna conscious. Maybe they have a problem with ones who are not. That's you know depends how you're raised. Also, I don't know if I told you, but for me, I was raised in a in a particular neighborhood. And so in that neighborhood, I never heard about homosexuals. I never heard about rape. Frankly, I never even saw people of other ethnicities. And I was right. The people of other ethnicities, you know what they were? They were the gardeners. The Mexicans were the gardeners. And the maids were the black people. That's how I was raised. So, you know, this little impressionable kid. So, you know, you start putting, categorizing and, you know, what did your parents have to say about homosexuals? How weird they were, how bad they were. When I raised, you know, was raised, if you were homosexual, you just kept quiet because your life would be difficult if people knew. So, you know, that's how I was raised. Does that have an effect on me? I try not to let it have an effect on me, and, and I'm sure it has, has to have some effect because it was impregnated on some level that, you know, there's what black people do. They come and clean your house. And Mexican people come and mow your lawn. <laughs> and they live in different neighborhoods and you never see them and they're not your friends. So then you think, okay, they're not my friends. I don't see them. They must be bad. There must be something wrong with them. They must be inferior. And the white people, they're the ones who dominate the best universities. Oh, we must be better. So, you know. Young, impressionable people growing up, that's how you think. And homosexuality was like totally in the closet. And so there's a huge stigma around it. But at least Prabhupada was willing to give everyone a chance to be Krishna conscious. So in that sense, 
he didn't discriminate. He didn't condone it, but we have that story. At least we were told that one of Prabhupada's servants was homosexual and he couldn't control it. And Prabhupada finally relented and said, well, then go live with that boy. So, you know, Prabhupada wanted us to be Krishna conscious. And it seems that Prabhupada was willing to bend the rules if that's what we needed to be Krishna conscious. Because being Krishna conscious was the most important thing. So now the question comes up, well, how far can you bend the rules? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's where the controversy will come. But at least the principle was he was willing to bend rules. If a, a man wanted to be a woman, wear a sari, like, okay, but just practice Krishna consciousness and don't you know, disturb this social environment. He never said, you can't do that, you can't be part of our movement. He just, he wanted everyone to be Krishna conscious and he was willing to accommodate them. So at least that should be the, the foundational philosophy. And then how you practically apply it will be different in different situations. But we should encourage everyone to be Krishna conscious. Prabhupada never encouraged, in general, gay people to get married. But the argument is, you know, marriage is stability. Being unmarried is will be promiscuous, so it's better they're married. And, of course, the argument is, well, if heterosexual people can do that, why not homosexual? Why would we deny them? Isn't the institution of marriage beneficial? And so, ultimately, you'll look at that and say, is it beneficial or not? But now, at this point in ISKCON, to come out and say, that's beneficial, and I advocate it and condone it... I think in 2120, you won't have a problem saying that, but in 2020, you will, amongst some circles. And that's just the reality. If we're going to make people feel like there's something wrong with them, they're going to become discouraged. Definitely. Definitely. If we're going to make people feel like there's something wrong with you that's, a, that's going to handicap you from being Krishna conscious, that is going to make it difficult for them. So, yeah, so you know, we, we don't want to encourage sinful activities. We don't want to encourage degraded activities. We want to encourage people to go forward in Krishna consciousness. And this homosexual thing is a lot of people have really, they have difficulty with it based on their culture, their upbringing. You know, you you have to go tell your parents you're homosexual and your parents are like, you know, temple president. You know, it's like hard for your parents. It becomes hard for you. And you're, you know, you're in a temple in a very conservative community. Wow. So these are all, you know, realities. It's just, you know, you can't pretend they're not there. And yeah, it's not, you know, such a sensitive topic for a lot of people, and for some it is. So Krishna Karshani says, better maybe, maybe better, we as ISKCON devotees should remove controversial statements from Srila Prabhupada's books. Non-devotees reading such statements may feel discouraged. 
from Krishna consciousness. Maybe if Prabhupada would still be alive, he, he would even want to remove those statements if they are if they are in a way of spread in the way of spreading Krishna consciousness. So your last statement may be true, but there's no way of knowing now if it's true. And I've discussed this with devotees, and we've also were able to discuss it with BBT with the BBT a little bit. Maybe not directly, but it came up. And the conclusion was that, you know, Prabhupada didn't want us to change his books, what to speak of, take something out of his books. So, we can't do that. And the conclusion was, we should explain, if there's something controversially controversial or something that could be misunderstood, we should explain it so people understand it. So, uh, Krishna Krishna, I was just having this discussion with my wife this morning. We have it once in a while. <clears throat> when I explained to her that, you know, I was just answering a question about something that was in Prabhupada's books, and she said the same thing. Well, why do we really need that? Does it really, is it really helping? Is it really an essential foundational principle? It's confusing people, it's alienating people, it's causing some people to leave Krishna consciousness. Do we need it in the books? That was her point. Why don't we just take it out? And I was saying, well, we don't have that right. Then I posed a question once. I said, if there's a statement in Prabhupada's books which we could identify as a cause of, of let's say, over the next 10,000 years, millions of people not becoming Krishna conscious because of one statement, which is a statement which is not foundational to our philosophy, and we could explain that to Prabhupada with statistical evidence based on what we've seen so far and where society's going and make some estimates of, of how many people we're not reaching because once they read that point, they put the book down and say, have nothing, we'll have nothing to do with this organi an organization that believes this. And we came up with figures of millions of people and we presented that to Prabhupada and say, we, we think within the next 10,000 years, there's probably close to 10 million people who would have been good devotees who won't because of this one statement. Can we take it out of the books? And it seems... If it's not a foundational statement, it seems that Prabhupada would say, then take it out. The problem is now, we can't ask that question. And I don't think the movement's ready to come to a consensus on changing anything in Prabhupada's books uh, <coughs> in the form of taking something out without getting their heads chopped off. That's the problem. But, this is my prediction, Krishna Karshani, and I, I think this is common sense. I'm not I'm not that smart to make this prediction, but by law, copyrights last in America, I believe, seventy five years. So the copyrights on Prabhupada's books started maybe in sixty eight on some of the books, and in the early seventies. So we're somewhere in the 25-year, we're somewhere around 25 years from those copyrights no longer existing, which means at that point anybody can print any of Prabhupada's books, sell them to temples or whatever. Not that they would, but they could. And so what you're saying I think is going to happen 
I think that people are going to reprint Prabhupada's books and use them in their particular preaching programs, but they're going to eliminate certain sentences or purports from them. So they don't have to worry about someone reading in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita. You know, they haven't even got through the Gita and they get to like verse 40 or something. Women are less intelligent. And that's when they put the book down and they go, that's a... Because, because nowadays, you know, the, the topic of gender racial equality is so much in the forefront. Even during the civil rights movement, it was just it was focused on blacks. It wasn't focused as much on male-female. So so many women back in the early days read these things and it's like if somehow or other it didn't deter, it doesn't seem to deter them as much as now. I could be wrong, I'm not a woman, but that's the sense I get. So that's my prediction that, you know, if you're Krishna Karshan, if you're alive in 25 years and you get the copyrights, you're probably going to be thinking, I would like an abridged version of the Gita and I have the right to print it. So I'm just going to choose the purports I want and maybe I'll add some explanations in there. Maybe I'll add some articles in there and create my own Bhagavad Gita. You're free to do that. And so that's probably what's going to happen. But I don't get the sense that the BBT is going to do anything other than other than deal with the word rape. The only thing that I heard from the BBT was that was the topic of discussion, the word rape. Because some say that the context Prabhupada was using, the not the context, the meaning Prabhupada was attributing to rape was a, an old English meaning. Although I don't think that's true personally, but I could be wrong. Because Prabhupada, um, you know, he talked about rape in other areas and it seemed like he uh, he wasn't using it in that sense of, th- they say, you know, a man is like sexual, strong sexually um, he when a man rapes a woman it means he's just strong sexually <clears throat> but you know Prabhupada understood that rape meant it wasn't consensual so anyway that's a sticky statement and so BBT is a little bit concerned about that I don't know um, they're so concerned about edits you know books are being edited and like minimal changes are being made and this is thought by some to be heretical unless it's absolutely necessary grammatically. But any other change, just, they don't want it. So, that's my opinion on that. Um, maybe, Maybe you could say that other books, like lectures, conversations, and like that, um, or more in that, you know, they, we have a right to edit because all we're doing is we're choosing what to put in that book. Like <clears throat> Signs of Self-Realization, it's articles and conversations. So the editors chose which ones to put in there. So that we can do. We can choose, we can create a book. You could create a book of purports, of verses and purports on a particular topic. But we can't take something out of the original books. At least it doesn't seem that's what Prabhupada would allow us to do. But I don't doubt that in the future someone may come up with that question. If we ask Prabhupada this, do you think he would say yes? And everyone says, I think he would say yes. So then can we take this word out? Can we take this sentence out? And even though everyone says, I think Prabhupada would say yes, 
to get them to actually take it out, then you're dealing with, you know, don't change my books. So the argument would be that even though Prabhupada said, don't change my books, if we know it is harming the reputation of Iskana or it's preventing people from becoming Krishna conscious, then you could make the argument that Prabhupada would have said, you, you should have used your intelligence. And although I said, don't change my books, this and that, you, but because this was causing a problem, you should have used your intelligence and taken it out. So that, that would be the other argument. Or uh, some devotees in Africa said that if their statements, derogatory statements against black people in Prabhupada's books, they could shut us down, possibly. So we can't print books that have those statements. That's what they said. That's what I heard they said. So this point has come up. And I think in a scenario like that, they would be justified in <clears throat> removing a purport that had derogatory statements that could um, get them in trouble. In China, our books are edited so that they conform with standards allowable in China. And so a lot of things are taken out and reworded and changed. And everyone who's translating Prabhupada's books into other languages has a bit of a license to, you know, okay, they come. Every woman likes women like to be raped. It's like, wait a minute, what does that mean? And they could just write women like men who are, you know, strong sexually. They they have the right to do that because they're translating it. So this kind of a you know, I haven't studied this and see if that's what they're doing, but if I were to bet on it, I would say when they would come to a very controversial statement, they probably would think how to, you know, polish it up a little bit, smooth it out. And I'm sure in some cases they do without it being a controversy. So that's interesting also. And I don't know if anyone monitors that. And I go through and say, did you really change the meaning here? Well, that's what you do when you edit sometimes you change the meaning because you think the meaning the Prabhupada uh, the meaning he intended is not here so you change it and that's what translators do but in English you get criticized for it so that's interesting isn't it <coughs> Hare Krishna Francisco Brian Sidney Kishori from Chile she's going to tell us something why should someone or an institution stops someone from having a relationship or raising a children. Children. Um, I can't answer this question, but I. Well, I can't answer the question because the institution. This is the theory, right? The institution has a philosophy, so they can't stop you. No, no, it's not a question of stopping, it's a question of condoning. Iskand's not going to stop anybody, any homosexual, from getting married. But <clears throat> the temple's probably not going to advertise the wedding. The wedding's probably not going to be on temple grounds. The temple's not going to you know, tell people, don't go to the wedding, this is wrong, this is bad. They just, they just can't do it. Because it doesn't... Apparently, it from things Prabhupada said about homosexuality, a certain segment of leaders would say, you can't do that 
And if you do it, you'll be criticized for doing it. So I think as Shori Mani, a lot of the issues are really issues between different points of view from more liberal agendas and more conservative agendas. And, you know, the movements, you know, <clears throat> will lean to the more conservative side to be safe. So, you know, they want to make sure they're not doing anything that Prabhupada didn't want us to do. So, so you know, better be air on the you know safe side. That's the idea. But I don't, I don't, I have not seen that devotees in general discourage anybody, although they may say some disparaging statements. Some may say some disparaging statements about homosexuals. But my sense of that has always been they've always thought that way. It was, and then when they read something that Prabhupada said that homosexuality is this or that. It just was a catalyst for what they already believed. That's my sense of it. I don't I don't think anyone joined ISKCON and like or most people joined ISKCON and then turned against homosexuals. I think they already had their own their own feelings about it before they joined ISKCON. And um, I think also what's an important point is it's like there's a lot of prejudice in this world, but when you have friends of of a, of an ethnic group or a gender or a race that you disparage, you tend to change your opinion once you hang out with them and see that they're what they're like. They're like everybody else. So, but if you've been isolated, like I say, you know, I never even knew anything about homosexuality. I never had any friends that were homosexuals. <clears throat> so, um, but no one ever implanted any negative ideas about it in my mind. So when I met devotees who were homosexuals, I had no preconceived idea that this is good or bad. But um, I think some have this idea that it's very bad, it's very demoniac, and so forth. And so that's where you get a lot of this. And then you read a few things that Prabhupada said and said, okay, so we just better be careful. And then... Um, one of our gurus was condemned for supporting a gay marriage and that kind of set a precedent. Like really strongly condemned. And he just made the point, well, better they're married in a monogamous, monogamous, monogamous relationship than not be married and have <clears throat> many partners. But that didn't seem to go over well amongst certain people. So they kind of shut him up, and when I read that and I saw that, then I thought, okay, I better not say anything. So I can, you know. So if someone says, would you go to a gay marriage if you knew the devotees? And it says, I would say, well, it depends how much I value my head, because it's going to get, I might get my head chopped off if I do. That's unfortunate. And so whether I'd want to go or not, I don't have a choice. I would... I would um, always support people in their Krishna consciousness. I mean, if I couldn't go, I would just explain, you know, this is the situation of our organization. And if I go, it, it will disturb people. So, um, and people would find, you know, find it really weird. If you're a spiritual master and you, you're going to a gay wedding, and you, that means you're supporting it, and <clears throat> and you would try to explain, oh, they're probably gay disciples. Yeah, but he didn't support gay marriage. You know, so what do you do? You're just, you know, it's 2020. It's not 2120. 
2120, we won't have these discussions. This people will be like, why are you talking about all this stuff? What do you, what do you, what do you think this is, 2020? It's a 2120. Why are you talking? Like, they'll look at all these classes, you know, if we, if they're still online in 2120, and all these devotees will be like, what are they talking about? Why are they, you mean they, this is how they thought in 2020? Are you kidding me? Oh my God, I can't believe it. That's my prediction. <laughs> Maybe we should do a play. It's, it's 2120, and then there's a class, and the devotee's like, like ultra, strict and conservative and then it's twenty one twenty it's like what's he talking about? Like what is where is this? This is this is like so twenty twenty. And then they look, oh my God, it, it's a class from a hundred years ago. Hare Krishna. It's funny, but I don't think it it's not hard to, to understand that's what it's gonna be like. Krishna says, I've encountered various <laughs> saddening statements regarding this, therefore I wanted to hear Gurudev's opinion. Yeah. You know, you know what you find in Krishna consciousness that's just so interesting. It's a psychological reality. Um, people believe what they want to believe. Facts or no facts, right? So we have this, you know, we have um, Donald Trump as president and, and people believe things for and against him. And not necessarily because there's evidence. There may be and there may not be. It's just this is what they want to believe. So from a psychological point of view, if you look at what people believe, there are many reasons why they believe things. One of them is it's just because that's what they want to believe. It makes them feel comfortable. That's that's the way they want to see it. Like some people want to believe Donald Trump was actually voted in as president and the election was rigged because there's no way the American people would not have voted him in for president, so the Democrats rig, rig the election, and there's a lot of, and and even the Republicans who are involved in the election say no, the election there was no rigging, everything went well. They did recounts in different states, the same results came, and still people are saying, no, the election was rigged because that's what makes sense to them, that's what they want to believe. So what can you do? So we're all human. So so just watching this going on. In the United States today, it's it's really interesting because even a lot of Republicans are frustrated with the people who are saying the election was rigged because they work on the election board and they're testifying it wasn't rigged. It's not some conspiracy. So just watching this, it's so interesting to see what people will believe and why they believe it and what they want to believe. <clears throat> so it's the same thing in our movement, you know. What what. Um, you will encounter different devotees saying different things about the same thing based on what they believe or want to believe that Prabhupada represents, which sometimes may be completely right on and sometimes may not be. But the other thing we need to understand by Prabhupada is that he was not always predictable. He said different things about the same thing. Last night I was talking to my god brother and I said, Shankar Prabhu, you said that um, when you were growing Tulsi plants and you told Prabhupada there were spider mites and this and that and termites eating the roots and Prabhupada said, you have no right to kill them, just let them eat as much as they want. And so I was asking him about that. I said, well, how did you grow anything? And you're saying Prabhupada's telling you you can let spider mites and termites kill Tulsi? 
And he said, Prabhupada pointed his finger, his finger at me and said, who do you think you are to kill those insects? And then Shankar said he was in Prabhupada's room and Jabhataka was was telling Prabhupada that the, the crops are being destroyed by the insects in Mayapur. And Prabhupada said, then you can kill them. You know, pesticides, whatever. And Shankar saying, you know, how do we understand? There's like two completely different, you know, statements and different contexts. So if you want to say don't kill, you've got that story. If you want to say you can kill, you we I don't know the context. We could guess the context that you know this is food and has to feed people. So you know the crops will be destroyed. There'll be no food. What do we do? Okay, kill. But this is Tulsi. Let them eat Tulsi. She'll do her service. She'll live a while. We'll make beads out of the brand. You know, you you can guess. You can try to understand, but sometimes, you know, that's how Prabhupada was. He he said homosexuality was demoniac, but what what was he referring to? Two people having sex for pleasure, most likely, because when homosex, when Prabhupada talked about homosexuality, he always used the word homosex. So we could say that when Prabhupada is talking about homosexuality, he's thinking two people coming together to have sex, which is not productive because it can't produce children, so it's demoniac. Okay, we can accept that. We can accept that amongst heterosexuals. Coming together to have sex, you don't want to produce children, that's also demoniac or sinful or whatever, right? But we don't have to go out and say it because why say it? because nobody's going to be talking about it. But it's brought up in the context of homosex. Yeah, so so Prabhupada said it's demoniac. Now, a man and a man come together, they're both good devotees, they want to live together. Is that demoniac? Well, not necessarily. Sounds Krishna conscious. Can I support it? No, I'll get my head chopped off. Okay. <coughs> That's just the reality. That's what we're dealing with. Maybe they're good devotees. They're you know they're up every day. They're chanting their rounds. They're doing service. Everybody likes them. Is it a problem? Doesn't seem to be. Was it a problem for Prabhupada? Doesn't seem to be. Will we? Can we marry them? No, because Prabhupada didn't think that was a good idea. Can we talk to Prabhupada today about it and explain everything? What's going on in the world? How people see gay relationships? How it, you know, they existed in the past, but no one admitted them, and how the, it's difficult for these people to to live singly. Blah blah blah. What would he say? Would he would he change his tune? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Can't ask him. So these are the questions, right? And you know, Krishna Karshani might say, "Oh, come on, of course he would change his tune." Once you told him all that, of course he would, you know. Don't make believe he wouldn't. Yeah, so that makes sense that he would. He said, okay, this is the situation, etc., etc. Devotees are living together, same sex, they're doing nice and devotional service. You know, so you might you might say he'd be okay with it. Yeah, but but you can't say it because he said other things. But what was he referring to? I think he was referring to illicit relationships between people of the same gender, which he condemned listen relationships of different genders. So it's like, you know. So really, you know, part of the answer to this question is you have to 
you have to understand how to best deal with these situations, what is the siddhanta, and how to encourage people at the same time. And not unnecessarily discriminate and make people feel like they're the scum of the earth and they can't be Krishna conscious. And I I would say generally devotees don't make people feel that way and they're okay with it. I, I told you like months ago that I saw a video of a schoolroom. I think the kids were like eight years old. And I forget the context, but it was something about a couple, a gay couple getting married. And they were asking the kids about it or what they think about it or I don't know. I forget exactly. But what I remember is that every single kid in the class had absolutely 100% no problem with a gay marriage for them. It was just like it's either man and woman or two women or two men. You know, it's fine. Because that's the culture they grew up in. Now someone may say, oh, that's a horrible culture. Someone else may say, no, this is a good culture. (laughs) But at least we should know people who grew up in the last 20 years, they grew up in a culture where being gay was pretty much accepted. The leaders of the Hare Krishna movement, who are my age, did not grow up in a culture where gay was so accepted. It was looked down upon. It was The word was queer, and that was a pejorative term to put somebody down. You want to hear a funny story? I don't know if it's funny, but it's funny. To, it may not make you laugh, but it's a funny story. You know the song Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison? Something in the way she moves me. You know that song? I don't want to see her now, Bob. Anyway, there was a song like that. And Shama Sundar was very close to George Harrison. They were like friends. You know, it's like hard to think that you know a devotee would end up being like a close friend of George Harrison, one of the most famous and wealthy people in the three worlds. So they're talking on the phone, and George says, I have this song about Krishna. What do you think? And it wasn't something in the way she moves me. It was something in the way he moves me. Do you know this? Did you know this? you got to look up this song. What's the name of the song? Who knows this? Here comes the sun, I guess. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. And I say, it's all right. Is that the same song? No, that's a different song. But um, something in the way he moves me. It was about Krishna. So he played Shamasundar, the song. You know, Shamasundar is not a musician. He says, what do you think of this song? He's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I guess it's good, yeah. So he sings him the song, and then later he records it. Something in the way she moves me. And then he tells him, I had to say she because the producers were saying, if you say he, everybody's going to think you're gay. So whenever that song was, 1970, 69, to come out being gay would be like really, really bad for George Harrison. Nowadays, 
probably not a big issue, right? Just come out and say it, and all your friends say, we love you, George, gay or not. You know, nobody cares. Different time, different culture, right? So what culture do the leaders of ISKCON come from? What culture do the leaders of Russia come from, of China? You know, it's different cultures, different views. Things are going to change. And in one part of the world, you'll get like total, everyone's fine with it. In another part of the world, you'll go, everyone's condemning it. Does that mean Prabhupada was fine with it or condemn it? Not necessarily. It may just mean the culture condemns it. And you'll find something that Prabhupada said to back you up. <laughs> That's unfortunate reality. Now we're going into the social psychology class here. Um <clears throat> So how do you explain it, Christy? We encourage everyone to be Krishna conscious. <clears throat> yeah, so today's class is going to be entitled, Saradiya has given us the title for this class today. Where is that man that Manu Samhita is talking about, that talks about? Where is that man that all the women are less intelligent of? That Man. Um, there's a few walking around, <clears throat> not so common. And if you find and ladies, if you find that man, you'll be like, "Wow, I just want to serve him. He's he's amazing." You, you wouldn't have a problem. Why do they say women are less intelligent? You meet that man, you go, "Now I know why, because this guy is amazing." But until you meet this guy, you may have a hard time understanding it. Okay, can you comment on how we should implement the principle that women need to be protected in a society? Many men are not competent to protect them. Um, yeah, go to karate classes like uh, Karuna Shakti does. You know, I was thinking, um, you know, I was thinking if you live in South Africa, you should take a martial arts class, you know, because if you're living alone in South Africa, you know, it can be dangerous, right? So you don't have a man to protect you. Um, protection is not only physical, it's in so many ways. Um, and the woman also protects the man as well. It's in Prabhupada's books. So, you know, it works both ways, interestingly enough. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of women that write me for advice, yours included, and I think that's part of the protection 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 program, but we protect men also with knowledge. So, you know, to me, part of the main protection is to pro women being protected from exploitation. So I try to protect women from exploitation by trying to help them understand what kind of men would exploit them and how they exploit them. And a lot of times women don't know that, that, that man is take, a man is being nice to you to take advantage of you, and he's going to abuse you later. Or you don't know that the man who is nice is not actually qualified to be a husband. So that's part of the protection. But as I said, men need protection also. So um, there's so many things ultra-conservatives would say about this, which would all demean you to the point where, you know, it's better you don't think too much and let the man think for you because you don't really know how to think. So that's not where Prabhupada was going with this. But Prabhupada also said you could be Brahmacharini. You don't have to get married. Although that in Vedic society, every woman had to be married. And Prabhupada's saying you don't have to be married. You can be single. 
So, you know, what's your protection? Krishna, your guru, right? Temple, you got prasadam, nice men there, you're safe, no one's going to exploit you, so... John says, reading Jumana Devi, two-volume biography, was helpful for me when wondering about some statements in the books. Yeah. Yeah, she had a really hard time with this. It's in her book, you know, with the woman issue. The reason she had a hard time with it, I think, is natural why many women have a hard time because they don't see that man in the Mandu Samhita. Should we write a song, Saradiya? Where's that man in the Manu Samhita? Where did he go? Where did he go? Where did he go? So I think that was, uh, I think that was the problem with Jamuna. You know, just like being told this, but you know, not seeing that man who was. Where's that superior man I'm supposed to like follow? Where can you get this book? Um, what's the name of that book? What do you want to tell her, John? A life of devotion, I think, right? Chimunda Devi, Life of Devotion. I'm sure you could Google it and find it. It's a, it's a big book, hardbound and not cheap, and it's heavy. So save your money, Victoria, to get that book. I don't think it's digital. Marco says, I think that adapting the message of the Krishna consciousness according to time, place, and circumstance is necessary. And after all this, it's what Srila Prabhupada did. Yes, however... One should not make too many compromises also in view of wanting to be accepted as an institution adulterating the true message of Krishna consciousness. Some things must be accepted, others rejected, understanding their deeper meanings. One sincerely wants to be part of transcendental movement. So what um, a life of unalloyed devotion on Amazon. Krishna consciousness. So um, what a lot of devotees have said is that Prabhupada makes statements which appear to be fanatical, politically incorrect, racist, whatever. And they're not, and they just have to be explained in, a, in the broader context of everything he said. And then when it's explained, then you say, okay, now I understand. Now I understand. I understand this principle now. So, you know, a lot of times we don't understand the principle because in our society... If we apply that principle, then women would just get exploited. Like, you know, the submissive woman is often the woman who gets abused by her husband. By the get, uh, Gets abused, not by her husband, by an abusive husband. So then, like, this submissive woman thing is really bad because you set, your up, set yourself up for abuse. But the submissive woman thing is not bad when you have the loving husband who is also submissive to his wife. Then it works. <clears throat> So that's where you run into problems. It's like, how can this be true? Because if we do this, this will happen. Yeah, that's because our society is so messed up. So that's where you run into trouble also in understanding some things. Krishnakarsani says, My Indradumna Swami doesn't have a problem in engaging women in managing women in charge of his preaching tour in Poland. Women is organizing Kartik tour. And you set a Sangha festival and you ask for him. Women are often more powerful and not using their power in service is a great loss, yeah. So Prabhupada said, we're preaching with doubled strength. You know, who was ever qualified, let him do it. He doesn't have a problem with it. He, 
he sees equally. Everyone can be engaged. For me, the problem is not being homosexual or heterosexual, but being sexual. <laughs> well, I like that one, Marco. Make a t-shirt. That one's good. I'm loving that statement. Yeah, Being overly sexual. Yeah, you have to be sexual to some degree. You have a body. Nadi says, Are we Christian to all? What about women who have been strong their whole life and get along with men and women equally, having conversations or saluting them with equality besides the body? Sometimes that leads to problems in a Christian conscious environment. Indeed it does. Yeah. Because we have a culture which is restricted by male and female association. Um, generally, you just have to be careful. <clears throat> to be very formal when dealing with the opposite sex. Also, you have to understand men's mentality because if you're not formal with men, they might think you like them and then want to take advantage of you. Men are, yeah, men in Kali Yuga, they're like, they're bad, bad news. They, they're very obsessed with... It's hard for men to have relationships with women without thinking about sex. In Kali Yuga. Keep that in mind. Or you probably understand that already. If you've been around the block a while. Uh, the problem is that we don't have access to each and every person who reads Prabhupada's books. My guru decided to stop selling at his festivals Queen Kunti's teaching book because of statements in a book that women are less intelligent. Yeah, I mean, it's a reality that people misunderstand. The reason was that people may feel discouraged thinking that we minimize the value of women. Yeah. Women are never minimized. Their value is never minimized. It's just some people try to minimize it, but you really can't. It's just, it exists. It's an energy. In Dulaika Priya, does it make sense than to distribute Prabhupada's books to unprepared people in the streets? This is one more question. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. We would, you know, we would need more, we would need more evidence that this is, is a problem. And I, I don't deny that it's probably going to become more and more of a problem than it was in the past. You know, of course, so few people read the books when they get them or they just skim through, so they probably don't even see it. That sadly, well, you know, Prabhupada once said, you know, India was being corrupted in so many ways and corrupt communist literature was being distributed and Prabhupada said, it's a good thing the village people, it's a good thing the village people don't read we don't want to say it's a good thing people don't read Prabhupada's books, but then now it's come to this point of discussion. So, you know, these are important points that I don't think this generation of leaders are going to really change anything. I don't get that impression. Or have these discussions. And I've, I've tried to have these discussions, and the basic answers that I got were, you know, we need other books. We need bridge books. Write your own books. You know, we'll distribute those. If if this is what we feel that people aren't ready for the Gita yet, then give them another book with the Gita that explains, you know, what they're going to read in the Gita to get them ready. Things like discussions like that. So these are valuable discussions. So John is going to tell us 
about what's going on parallels in Christianity because he has experience. For what it's worth, the Christian scriptures were edited by councils over centuries for better or worse. Uh, Allah got tossed to preserve meaning. Yeah, so this is really a strong move against touching Prophet's books because he didn't want tampering with his books other than basic grammar and editor, you know, for clarity. But tossing, like I say, the reprints, they're going to get tossed. But the BBT books will not. And the original books are online, so they'll always be there, no matter what editing is done. And, uh, you know, I think I think it would be great to have a book about women and the whole woman's issue and, like, clarifying this and having these discussions that all women in this country can read and pe- people coming who want to read. Not it. About the R word, I feel like he was talking about degraded materialistic people. He's not talking about devotees. And there's, yeah, a lot of discussion over the topic, but I feel... Uh, we are not really seeing what Prabhupada meant. Yeah, well, they, you know, it's like I said, you know, if you want to believe something, you, you'll find a quote and to support it. You can have all cases, Prabhupada said something strong and used strong words. And he was talking about Kali Yuga society, warning us about it. These kinds of purports about our words and similar were meant to warn and protect us whole intention was good. Yeah. He is. The meanings you put on words and phrases. I have quite a few friends who are homosexual and seeing how much suffering they go through it would be sad seeing this kind taking part in the whole discrimination. It's not their choice. Yeah. It's a whole discussion because you know the predominant idea when I grew up is if you're homosexual it's your choice. It's not your biology. There's something wrong with you. Hare Krishna. Yeah, this is a pretty open, honest, courageous discussion. Something. Oh, the song is called Something. Krishna Contest told the song. It's something. That something is about Krishna, but he says she. So if you want to listen to the song, Meditated on Krishna, not on his girlfriend, because he wasn't talking about she. Just change she to he. I don't want to leave him now. You know I believe him now. Makes a whole other sense. Yeah. I don't want to leave him now. You know I believe in him now. Uh, 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 uh. Here comes... This. How does the... I forget how the, the chorus goes. Oh, so the man that was talked about in the Manasamita is Krishna Karshani's husband, Hare Krishna. If you live in South Africa, you need a gun, a private security guard, and ten-foot fence to protect you. Yeah, you know, even if you're walking alone at night in Vrindavan, if you don't know karate, it could be dangerous. This is what the world's coming to. Pray the Lord to Shingadev. Yeah, I would do both if I were you. Sardi Rasa lives in South Africa. We should write the song, Where is that man from the Manusamita? Okay, I'll write it after class. We'll play it tomorrow. Where did he go? It'll be a hit. 
that might also result in a few threats to get someone's head up. Yeah, I have to be careful. Because without a head, I can't really do a lot of service, so I have to hold it on. And it's, you know, I don't like disturbing people. And I know some things I say will be seen as like very, too much liberal or not representing Prabhupada or this or that. What can I do? I will think the same thing about what they say. So we're different. Too conservative, not representing Prabhupada. You know, being too liberal or being too conservative, both things are not, are problematic for sure. Okay, we went over time. But we're not having class tomorrow. I have a meeting. And Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to be gone helping my wife take care of her mother for a few days and who's having a cataract operation and some other things. So I will return to you all, lovely devotees, on Friday. And I think that includes Tuesday night's class. So, yeah. Wednesday, I'm going to have a class for the people in London. So we ha- I have to do that. They paid for it. So, um, could be understood, <laughs> Radharani. Could be, but he was thinking of Krishna. So we have to just change something in the way Krishna moves me. Anyway, it's a nice story. Okay. I will write the song, everyone. How does the song go again? Where is that man? What are the words for that song? Where is that man? The Manusamita speaks about it. I'm looking for it. Where is that man in the Manusamita? I'm looking, I'm looking. So when you meet a man, ladies, to get married, you say, are you the man in the Manusamita? The man in the Manusamita. That's the name of the song, and that's the name of the class. The man in the Manusamita. Hare Krishna. We'll see you all in uh, an hour and eight minutes if you want to join us for Japa. Actually, you can go to the Japa class at uh, in eight minutes, which is going to start in eight minutes. But I will join in one hour and eight minutes. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.